If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now, go. So on this episode, I'm joined by one of the best in the business, the man in the middle, the man with the whistle, controversial at times, not him, referees in general. Give us something to speak about every week. It's the great, the wonderful Luke Pierce. Give Big Jim is wearing his heels. Marching around the town to get some thrills. But it's time to go in now. And he's big and red. A shot of black coffee, now he's super dead. He gets loud. I'm a big dick house. I showed him some whiskey and he shoots it's like a mouse. I do actually spend a lot of my time at Exeter Saracens, my local club. And they're proper amateur. Like, they're called, they're called Exeter Saracens. Exeter Saracens. Well, that's controversial. It is, but yeah, they haven't got much money. Mm-hmm. Um, but they play at local exhibition fields. And the lads there are unbelievable. Like, they've started up girls' teams. They're proper, proper, normal, amateur-level rugby. And the divide between that then and you go down the road to, to Exeter Chiefs, they're not the same sport anymore. Like, you can't even compare apples with apples. And I remember going down there watching their cup final, God, a while ago, having a load of beers, watching the game. Old-fashioned rugby. South Moulton they played. They lost. Sarri's lost. All the lads back in the bar afterwards. I know it's, you know, the whole drinking culture stuff and everything else but mate this place was bouncing and it was awesome such a good atmosphere and I actually thought to myself when was the last time I did a pro game and had that much fun I thought god it's different it's it's not the same it's not the same job anymore no it's not and it isn't you've nailed it on the head before when I was playing there wasn't a huge gap between being an international player I say that for Scotland, respectively, we can take the piss, but it was the truth. (laughs) Don't look at me. (laughs) Being an an international player and playing club rugby. I'm telling you now, there wasn't a huge difference. And there'd be people saying, oh, how has Jeff Cross become an international? And I joke about Phil Godman and myself. Lads would be looking at me, how the hell has he become a rugby player? Whereas now, you're absolutely right. The gulf between a top-level premiership game or European or international and anything else. Like, it's not even, like, you've just said the same sport. But I like that. There's a part of me, I like it both ways. I love the old-school element. I think that is what rugby is, the values, inclusivity, and that must live. But in order for the game to grow, unfortunately, and we'll get into our conversation around some of the characters that are coming out and the attitudes around that, the social media part to that, the opinionated part to that, the divisiveness around that, all these things in the pot is the only way the game is going to grow. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, as oh. in good or bad because I mean, of the, the time reason, we live in. The only reason I got a job as a professional ref is because it's a professional league. Like, you're not naive enough to think that if there wasn't money in the game, referees are normally the last to be thought of in terms of you go playing, you go coaching, stadiums, infrastructure. And then they're like, actually, we need we need some decent refs to make the league. And then, of course, then refs turn professional. But if they want money in it, I wouldn't be doing, doing this job for 12 years. You know, Barnsley's doing it for donkey's years. You've also got to remember that as well. And I think especially through COVID, I don't know if we're going to go on to it, but during COVID, we lost, obviously, JP got made redundant, sadly. Big realisation to everyone that 
rugby is not around forever and it's actually really fragile. And we actually took stock and thought, right, we've got to get back to actually enjoying it and realizing how lucky we are to be doing it. And it's the old cliche in it, like, you, oh, you're so lucky to do what you do. But sometimes you've got to look back and go, bloody hell, like on a Monday morning, you're traveling to Twickenham and running them down the pitch. People are actually in normal jobs in offices, chasing targets, different work, but sometimes you've got to take stock a little bit. Um, you know, even this weekend, going to do Canada v Spain. And you could easily look at it and go, okay, well, I want to be doing New Zealand v Ireland, of course. Why but, are you not? Uh, mate, it's someone else's decision. But just for this weekend, you know, I've got to make sure that I give that game my all, enjoy it. And because Canada v Spain, that's still the, the biggest game that these two teams are going to play. And if you rock up with the wrong attitude, then you're going to be really bit in the backside. And then, of course, the next week, then I've got to do a, the World Cup qualifier in USA Chile. And again, the ticket on the end of that is for these guys to go to the World Cup. So it's huge. And you've always got to kind of look back and go, actually, I'm really going to enjoy this trip. I'm going to make the most of it, give my all, and then see what happens come rugby championship in next month that's a great mindset to have but for the listeners here yeah. and we probably wouldn't get many refs in here because goody and a little bit myself you have to talk about it you are the talking point yeah after every game it's the easy one to point anything in the conversation it's the easy out but we're talking now and there's a june series going on and you look at the profile of all the referees and you know, we can maybe get into the season you felt you've had. You said that you, obviously you don't make the decision on the games that you do. So who is that then? What puts you into the uh, pot to be able to so ref the top games? It, it's it's quite it's quite trans- well, it's transparent now, to be fair. We've got Joel Juge, who's the big boss. And then they've got board of selectors. It's about four or five selectors. Then you pick and choose how referees perform or don't perform. And it is very thorough. It's, it's a pretty transparent system. And then obviously with the four windows of internationals leading into 2023 next year, I think there's 17 of us now in contention and they're taking 12 rest of the World Cup. So they've been quite open and honest. And within that, everyone's got to get a decent opportunity to do well. You can't just flog the same horses every single week. And then so we get told probably with about three or four weeks notice of each window where we're going to go. So we're now waiting for rugby championship stuff to come out. And that will obviously ramp up between now rugby championship, November, Six Nations will be the, the cutoff. And then in March, April, then the squad will get announced 2023. So it's a bloody transparent system, to be fair, to World Rugby. And that's where it's got way better. Like in years gone by, you would never know where you were. It was just down on your names on the team sheet or not. So at least there is a lot of openness now. Of course, refereeing subjectivity, isn't it? That's, that's how it's based. You might think someone does brilliantly, Jim, and I might think that nah, it's so good. And you'll never remove that in any form from rugby, I think, because somebody might have a different view on a performance just based on what they feel or what they think. And we got a lot more stats now, a lot more data. But you know what? You just got to keep doing what you're good at and what think you got there in the first place. And it's so easy these days. In, imagine in playing as well, but in refereeing with all the crap that comes your way. And we'll go on to some of the stuff that there is. It's so easy to, to sway the way you actually referee in your style. So simple. Because you think, God, I think of that right last week. Got to change that. Got to change that. But normally, if you just stick to what you're pretty good at, what you're fundamentally good at, with the odd tweak here and there, then you, you shouldn't go too far wrong. But it's pretty hard to do that when you're getting conflicting views from coaches, from supporters, from players. And of course, as the season heats up, you only get more and more of that. How hard is that? Like you must have to be razor sharp and so confident to be able to try and ignore them external factors because I just gave one line and said, as people in the media, and I know that you and some of the guys will listen to the podcast yeah. maybe for a laugh as opposed to any insight, but you've got that. You're on social media. Your old man who used to ref back in the day. Media from reading, and I don't know whether you consume media. So you obviously go and do a Romania-Italy game, right? And that's in the shadows of the June series. So mm. 
I imagine naturally, yes, the game is still huge. It's huge for them players, like you've just said. But naturally for you, there's no media to consume around that. Whereas, which, which makes yeah. it a little bit a little bit nicer. Yeah, that's what I mean. So it must be nicer. Yeah, because so. then every decision that you make isn't going to be critiqued. No disrespect to Romania and Italy because of the profile. But how hard is it if you're doing these games? And here's an example. Let me give you an example. So I thought in the first test of the All Blacks Island game, Carl Dixon, up to one point, was having a really good game. So I thought, I'm going to test the water here before I interview Luke just to see. Put out a tweet. Carl Dixon's having a good game, not sarcastic, in brackets. Because I've given him a bit of shit. People give him a bit of shit. There's a reason why he's in that place now you've just said, because they'll want to look at him to see if he's got the tools, if he's got the ability to referee at the highest level as it goes forward, even though that is the highest level. 100 comments, all abusive. I say all abusive. Nine out of 10 were derogatory, right? And that is social media. We know that. How do you as referees not see that and that must have an influence if you're reading that like you must as a player I didn't have social media as a player at the, at the start you read the comments and that's you every week every single week every comment you read or every decision you make in the eyes of the public is wrong yeah uh, it is bloody hard and I think one thing you got to do is just have a, a system in place to deal with to start with for example game day I make sure that the team and I don't look at our phones from when we go in the changing room Phones are away. We do half time. Clearly, phones are away. End of the game, no phones until we decide how we think that game has gone. Because normally, like playing, you walk off the pitch and you know, good, bad, or ugly, or you think, shit, that's the instance we're going to be discussing after the game. You know, I came off the semi final at Sarri's Quinn's game. Oh, sorry, I made a comment about that. Um, Just touch on that. Go on. Flustered, wasn't you? Did I say flustered? (laughs) I can understand why. Not that I'm sensitive. Um, But I come off that pitch and I know straight away the discussion points will be around those four cards. Straight away, because you, you're honest, you know what the deal is. Of course, then you got the social media element. If you want to be on it, you've got to brace yourself for the shit that comes your way as well. And I think the balance that we're struggling with in refereeing at the moment is having a profile, doing this kind of stuff, making people realise that we're, I think, decent people and... Accessible. Accessible and we're normal. And we're normal human beings that are just trying to do the best job as we can. You know, and you take Carl's example, there's no reason why Carl should get a load of shit from that New Zealand Ireland game. He's good enough. He's doing a tier one game involving two of the biggest countries in the world. There's no surprise. You know, we work our nuts off to get those games and to get to that level. Um, and then to hear some of the derogatory stuff is just, you know, people don't, I don't think, realise the, the amount of work that goes involved to be appointed to those games, let alone actually do it and, be, you know, carry out a decent performance, which Carl did, I think. So, yeah, it, it is hard. I'd be lying if I said I didn't get consumed by it from time to time because I think those people who say, well, I just don't look at it. You need to have a strategy and not how to look at it because it's too easy. I pick my phone up, you know, and after a game, I can always tell how good or bad it's been. Mum will send me a message saying, you know, oh, well done, love. You had a great game. Great game. She'll always say it. It's brilliant. (laughs) Whereas my old man will be far more honest and say, not bad, but, you know, think that could have been a red or anything. Oh God, here we go. And then of course it rumbles on. And I think the hardest part of social media now, mate, is you can finish a game, you can think the game's gone great, and then on a Monday and Tuesday, things then pop up. An attacker will pop up on social media and people go, oh, what about this? And you think, for God's sake, like, there's how many tackles in a game? Two, three hundred? Massive collisions, there's line-outs, there's scrums and everything, and we're pinpointing one or two things. And that's the biggest change and shift in refereeing now, is that you can do 85, 90 minutes of hard graft 
and actually people only care about one thing and then that's the how then you drill down into getting your team to get that one thing right is the hardest part because you don't know what people are talking about out in the world you don't know when you come off a pitch that people are talking about one incident and i'll never forget um, new zealand france was my first tier one test in 2018 and i come off the game it's 50 points to 20 odd i thought brilliant happy days family are in the stands and a few beers the next day i thought hang on a minute i'm getting, I'm getting a bit of flack here and it was all about the the high tackle, which I gave her a yellow, which was which was soft and wrong against France, and then of course the New Zealand um, hit, which which left a guy really injured. And then I was getting so much grief for it, and I thought, my God, like, grief I, in what way? As in on Twitter? Yeah, on everything. You know, New Zealand are being favoured, which is we all with referees is sorry, it's rubbish. Like we we just referee a game as we see it. Some teams are brilliant on their day, and some teams are not so good on their day, and some. You, know, you look at the Premiership. There are teams that are, that are of the all-black kind of nature playing in the Premiership, and we don't say that about them. But how you then embrace and deal with it is the really hard part. And that was my first experience. And when my family flew home on the Monday, and I was then stuck um, in New Zealand, and I was running touch in the Test Two and Test Three, I'll never forget Johnny Lacey, who is an old Irish ref. He's now one of the coaches. He was fantastic. He told me on day one when we flew down to New Zealand, he's, like, he's on the third Test. He's like, Luke, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna socialise much. I'm gonna train hard, early nights. He realised that I was in the shit on that Monday morning. And I thought, God, family are gone. I'm getting a load of grief. Is this the end? Like, I've done one game. I've got, I got no idea whether I'm going to be picked again. And he was fantastic. Took me straight out. Parents went. Wife went home. And he said, right, come on, down the bar. Straight down the bar. Couple of pints. Out for a bite to eat. And the whole week was just making sure that I'm okay. And one of the things that we now do, and of course you get a bit older and a bit more mature, is that you then do that to the next lads and girls coming through because you know that the heat's coming their way and especially in these big games at the moment you've only got to look at weekend one with cards no cards tries no tries i mean we're only on the week one of the of july that the world cup's still 15 months away i mean what's the world cup going to be like and how we do that and touch wood I'll, I'll be at the world cup but we spoke in in our camp two weeks ago when the refs met pre-july camp how are we actually going to carry out that world cup because wherever you go in france people are going to know who the refs are and starting with the france new zealand game on the first game of the opening of the world cup if something happens in that game we're in for it for the next eight weeks so how we're going to carry out how are we going to do social media how are we going to pass comment to each other how are we going to deal with the press and the media should something go wrong or should something be good do we just go out and be reactive when something happens when it's wrong um, you know, you look at the World Cup in 2019 and, and that's possibly what happened that first what, three or four days. There were a few contentious decisions and all of a sudden we're not performing and that gets announced to the world. And you're like, hang on, like, this can't be right. There's got to be a better way of managing both ways. And by doing this kind of stuff, Conor O'Shea is really a big driver of trying to get us into the media, not to be celebrities, not to do anything like that, but to just be upfront and honest. Because, and I come back to my point, people can slag us off as much as they want. If someone just says, look, I got the wrong decision, I've got it wrong. If people want to keep going at me and saying that I'm useless and I'm shit, that's fine. Like, you're an idiot. Because normal, nice people, once once you put your hands up and say, look, yeah, I didn't get that quite right. People will say, yeah, fair enough. Let's just try and get it better next time. Mm. Because it's putting the person behind the, yeah. re the referee. But like, because you wouldn't tweet after a game and say, oh, I was flustered <laughs> in the Saracens-Quins game, which I can understand why yeah. anyone would have been. And that yeah. wasn't a reflection on... You, as a ref who we've said is one of the best refs around, it's a reflection on the occasion of the, the game and mm. also something that we can get into, the new interpretations around mitigation, all these different things, which is an ever-changing landscape for you. But when you talk about these things, are things in place already? Because after a game, to so say you end up doing the France-New Zealand game first up, I don't know, 
There's a Scott Barrett incident that we saw against Omani that's not been picked up but did the rounds on social media, almost went viral. Carl Dixon, how has he had a good game when there's been a counter up? Whereas two years ago, that might have been a yellow card or even a red card. Whereas now, for whatever reason, there's been a shift. And then that's you in that moment. One of the questions I want to ask is, would you want to tweet after? Do you feel like, you, as referees, there could potentially be a forum to be interviewed do you know what I mean? I don't. Yeah. I, like, I don't know that. I mean, because that I'd quite like to hear after a game, and you stand there after the Saracens Quint game, or if you get the first test, and see what your reaction is. Do you know what I mean? And be like, I mean, I, I know there's so much you get, must be going around your head, but you don't have a forum. Do you just stand there and have to take it? We don't, and I don't know what the answer is, Jim. Because whichever way you go, there's going to be like a counter argument for it, and. You know, a lot of my mates at home are all football lads. They work at Exeter City or they're involved in local football and it's a different mentality. You know, we watch Super Saturday and you've got an ex-ref on the Sky Sports News and they're watching all the games come in and they've got a referee's view live saying that was right or wrong. And rugby's not a million miles away from there now because obviously Nigel did the, the Lions um, last year. What do you make of that? I think it's great for a referee to have a voice on there. Mm. So I really do think it's important to people to understand where we're coming from. And we'll come on to the high tackle stuff in a minute because I think if there was a referee live there explaining why we may be going down a certain avenue, it might make it a bit more easy to accept. I think post-game is really difficult. There's always um, stuff to discuss from a game. And how sensitive we are to that immediately after is is different. I think it just needs a couple of days to calm. I do think there is a place, and hopefully, you know, Paul Hull is our new boss coming into the RFU uh, in two weeks' time. I think there will be a place where we're going to have an outlet. Maybe, I don't know, every round, is that too much, possibly? Every other round to say, look, here's what we're noticing from this couple of weeks that... We've, we've given yellows and we actually, on review, we think they could be reds or vice versa or the scrums are a mess. We're going to have to focus our attention on that. There needs to be an avenue for us to come back a little bit and say, here's what our focus is going to be. I do wonder sometimes, though, that I don't know why it is, but the referees are now centre of attention and everything. And we started that conversation that referees are always in that spotlight. And it's the nature of the job, isn't it? So you've got to have thick skins. So we can't make this an oversensitive job either. But how we then communicate with the wider world to explain what we're doing is is work in progress, really. Like, Barnsley does a really good job, and a few of us have been on BT to try and give the referee side of things. But we're a close-knit team, and it becomes a little bit tricky then when we're critiquing one of our mates' performance in the public domain because people want to hear he got that right or wrong, or he or she got that right or wrong. That's what they want. They want the juicy story to say good or bad. But sometimes we can't give that, and we don't want to be sat on the fence with answers, but we just want to quote what the law book says in certain scenarios and why a referee may have interpreted it that way. Um, and I don't think we're quite there yet. It, it's just it's something that will change. Clearly, we'll have to change in the next few years because you've only got a look at social media this weekend. It can't continue this way of continually slamming people after every single fixture because people, people are just going to give up. You know, mm. people will just walk away from it. Is my fear. Um, you got to have thick skin, of course you have, but there's only so much dealing with real shit that you can deal with for how many years you're in this job for. Because it's not even online. You know, I remember chatting to JP Doyle and the natural thing to do, even at a game, I'll give you an example. So I went to a Scotland international this past Six Nations. Mm. So crowds back in. I was there with my lad. We were in the nosebleed seats at the back. Man of the people, right? So sat there. <laughs> I wanted to go and experience it properly. You know, I didn't want the corporate yeah. stuff with my lad. Like I wanted to be out there in the masses. And I knew there was a shift in the way that rugby was being consumed and 
the relationship between fans and the values and the referee. So we're at the back, right? I'm obviously well-versed in understanding the game of rugby, right? Arguably. But I'm looking at the game unfold, and I can see it so superficially. I couldn't tell you if there was hands in the ruck. I couldn't yeah. tell you if a scrum's gone down. I couldn't even tell you if there was forward pass. We were that far back. And uh, we got the real kind of experience. And there's this one guy with his family. Fucking this. Fucking rev. Fucking idiot. Going ballistic, right, at the referee. And I remember I was there. Craig Chalmers was a few seats back where he stood up. And I don't think anyone knew him, bless him, Craig Chalmers. Stood up and was like, you need to pipe down. Like, what, what are you doing here? And this guy was so angry at the referee. And I'm thinking, I can't see what's going on. I don't even know what you're talking about. He's going home and his whole relationship and experience of that game is how bad the ref was. Mm. I don't even know who the ref was. I can't remember. That's the irony, isn't it? It like, might have been a Frenchman. <laughs> so. that's, that's the irony at all. Like it's, and, and I go back to that point about rugby being two different sports now, an amateur and professional. When we finish games now at the top end, very, very rarely will you go out for a drink with the lads or, or the girls afterwards because you don't know what's coming your way. And the last time I did it, it was actually Munster to lose in the quarterfinal this year. Went to penalties. So my I'm not in the I'm not in the firing line because it's a it's decided by penalty shootout. Did you know what was going on completely? I had I had no idea. <laughs> Come full time and extra time. I was just speechless, gone. My head was blown. And but when we were in the penalty shootout and it was a great occasion and all that, we walked back from the Aviva back to our hotel. Couldn't get a cab. And we were walking down, um, is it uh, Baggett Street, I think it is. And we're walking down and the bars are rammed. They're chocker with Munster supporters, Toulouse supporters. The place is bouncing. And I'm really defensive. And I was walking back and my bloody wheelie. So I'm making all the noise in the world with all my, all my touch judges and, and TMO. And after about three or four bars, I recognised that the atmosphere was actually quite friendly. It was quite nice. And there was no one really going for me. And for the first time ever, one of them said, do you have a pint here? Just, just go for a Guinness. I thought, why not? Like We're normal people who have just been through 120 odd minutes of my head's fried. And we went into a bar and we had three or four pints with rugby supporters. And it was fantastic. And I actually got the love of that back again. But normally you're either in the car in the premiership and you're driving back or you're straight out the hotel. You know, you might watch another game like this weekend. There's so much rugby on. You just flick another game on, have a bite to eat, have a few drinks. Whereas the amateur game, you know, like go back to the Exit Saracens example, you're in the clubhouse, you're in the mix. And yeah, like the refs don't get everything right, but they're back in, they recognise that they're volunteers and everything else. And and they had a whale of a time altogether. And I think as soon as people pay money to watch something, realise that other people are earning money from doing something, there's this aura that they can just be just be gone for. Um, and it's something that I'm not quite sure how we change. Like, I don't think the players and coaches are there anymore. I think we've... Not we. I think rugby is itself reflected of three or four years ago and saw which way potentially it was heading and it has got way better. There's always going to be the blip. That's, that's the nature of the pressure, isn't it? But I think the relationship now that refs, players, coaches have is a far more transparent and honest one. And hopefully, if that's driven from the top, then it might filter down. But it just concerns me that in future years, I don't want to end up in the football scenario of having to meet at a hotel to go in a taxi all together into the ground. I I won't do it if that's the case because I won't be able to take my girls to to watch a game at the moment. At their age, they're not interested, but I wouldn't want to put them through that either um, because it's sometimes not very pleasant. So you know, it's just trying to find that that middle ground between being a professional setup, having money involved, making it commercially viable, and growing and growing and growing, but trying to keep some sort of rugby values there in the background. Which if they lose if we lose that, then it's just the same as any other sport, isn't it? Mm. I mentioned that guy 
that was a one-off. So that yeah. wasn't yeah. the majority. And then online, uh, that isn't the majority. You know, everyone's with everything in the world, not just with rugby and yeah. referees. It's everything I, on Twitter. It could be, you know, I put a, a tweet out about how much a slice of toast was, three quid. And you should have seen. <laughs> Genuinely, it opened up this kind of Why social... Why are people so angry, Jim? I don't know. Like, I, don't think, so... I don't think they are, though. This is this is, comes back to my point. I think, like your experience after the Munster-Toulouse game, I think we think they are angry, but yeah. I don't think, especially at rugby, and I'll ask you about any kind of bad experience personally, you'll get one out of 100, you yeah. know, that will say something to your face, which I've had. I remember playing against England and we lost 23-0 and I went out in Edinburgh incognito and How did that you, go? Well, you get, I looked a million dollars and leather jacket on. My mates, Mikovskins, <laughs> had their pleather jackets on. And majority of people asking for photos, disappointed about the game. But there was one out of maybe the 20 people that were speaking to me, face painted, running down his face. He's got his kilt on. He's like, you're a fucking disgrace, mate. Like He's like got the, the bollocks to be able to say it to my face about how he's paid 100 quid for his ticket. And causing this big scene in this bar to the point where people's camera phones are now out. I'm thinking social media following is going to blow up here. I'm, I'm easy. <laughs> to the point where I'm starting to get a bit of red mist and the police turn up and there's this big kind of... It, it became something that was nothing, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But that never really happened. That was rare that it happens. But I think the mass majority of people, the vast majority, would love to see you come and have a yeah. drink in the bar and wouldn't have the bollocks necessarily to say... Oh, what about that? Have you had that? Have you had people stop you? Is that why you say that? Or are you looking at the the social and maybe second-guessing yourself? It's, because it's probably of more that, more mm. the latter, Jim. It's more the social stuff. One thing that was really lovely, and we'll touch on individual games, I'm sure, but that's Sarri's Quinns game. Beautiful sunny day, red hot, one o'clock kickoff. Plastic pitch. Plastic pitch, like melting. And afterwards, we hung around for a pint. And it's the first time I've done it at Sarri's because there's a band playing behind the sticks and... We had a couple of beers and genuine rugby fans. I was in the queue just, you know, buying three or four pints for, for the team. And someone said, oh, are you buying those? I was like, yeah, of course I am. Like, he said, oh, let me buy you a beer. Like, you can't be in a rugby club and the ref buy your own pint. I thought, bloody hell, like, it's 12 years in this job. And that's the first time that a fan's done that. I'm not sure he's probably a Saris fan. But, <laughs> but even like you get that normalness. And I always remember Quinns being another club where we'd hang around when the band was playing under the grandstand there. And it was always a really thriving atmosphere. COVID's changed it a bit because we then got locked away. We were on grounds with no fans. We were having pizzas in the change room and driving home. And we, we're just trying to get that back a bit now, you know, like going into clubhouses and being more human and actually enjoying the rugby environment. And I think we just got to get a balance between accepting what people are saying on here and your phone and slagging you off and going, right, I know that I've done a good job there or I know that this will be the talking point. Right, tools down, have a bite to eat, relax, and then we'll deal with that on Sunday and Monday. Um, but how you do that in this pressure world of selection and big games and World Cups coming up. And you've only got to see the coaches now are starting to also follow similar that mould in making comments and everything else. So the pressure is ramping up and it's how you keep that level playing field is, is pretty tricky. Pretty tricky. Mm. On that process with the coaches and then as a referee reviewing the game. So a couple of things that I want to know about. When can the coaches come back and say, what about this? What about that? You know, like Rassi did the big thing on Nick Berry, which mm. again, from a media standpoint, we enjoyed. Obviously, Nick Berry didn't enjoy and it affected him massively. can absolutely see why. And in hindsight, isn't the way to go forward because we're talking about a person here. We're not talking about a referee for all the things that you've just said. 
So at what point can they formally go through? Because obviously the game isn't finished and that's it, you move on to the next. You're going to have to go through yeah. mentally, emotionally, physically a couple of days of debrief before you look forward. When do they come in? And then also as referees and your bosses, like do they grade you after the game? Do they say, you know, this is the report, you know, you were 7 out of 10 or you missed this? Because you're going to miss a load of stuff. How do you measure success? I'll take, I'll take a seven out of ten anyway, Jim. Um, no, <laughs> so I'll tell you, I never got one. No, exactly. Coaches, um, to be fair, the, the relationship is getting far better between all the different leagues and all the different coaches. You know, we've got, it's not me, you know, um, blowing smoke on my, on my bus's ass, but we've got some good people in charge now. You know, Spreaders is in charge of the European Cup with the French clubs and all the other nationalities. We've got um, Paul Hull, who's going to come in to be our boss now and hopefully former DOR knows a bit, you know, that link between the coaches. We've got Joel Jouche, who's got a brilliant relationship with all the international coaches. And there will be times of time where people will blow up. That's the nature of the, the business. One thing that we do, I think we do well, is our pre-match conversations with coaches. So I'll meet with the coaches on a Thursday or a Friday before weekend in the, in the international world, have a chat, have a cup of coffee, see what's what, anything, any big ticket things that I've noticed from them or vice versa. Um, and then post-game, then the coaches will send clips in through whoever the boss is in the respective league. You know, we're trying to make sure that we're not just, if teams lose, they're sending endless clips in. So the European Cup, for example, spreaders is limited to eight clips because really there shouldn't be more than three, four big ticket items that are in disagreement because there will always be the odd tackle where people go, which way would that go? You know, is that a release? Was that a release from the tackler? And that will always be the rugby debate. So we've, we're trying to get that in place. And I think it's quite good now that coaches send their views in. One thing that I've taken a while and a few years to get um, mature at, Jim, is actually not being so defensive every time they send stuff in because some of the stuff is really valuable. But when you come off a, a big pressure game and you then get a losing coach getting stuck in, your barriers are straight up. Well, mine certainly were. And one thing I noticed when I was reviewing a game on a Sunday or Monday, I'd watch it and be defending some decisions which were wrong. But because my my attack on it was, well, I've got to be defensive here because I'm trying to protect what I'm doing. Well, that's just bollocks because people can see it's wrong, irrelevant. So you may as well just say that I didn't quite see this tackle right, I didn't quite get this card right. Here's what I need to do next time to get that process better. And like I said at the start with the, with the supporters having a pop, if a coach has a point and is right, well, we may as well just tell them, yeah, look, fair enough. We pick up the phone. We must have got good relationships now with coaches in the premiership, especially. Emails, you know, people got zoomed out, didn't they? They got bored of emails and texts and WhatsApps and everything else. Just We just pick up the phone now because most people are very different over a phone conversation than they are behind an email me included and I think you have that ability to have a conversation with someone it's far easier to kill any animosity get rid of any kind of atmosphere that's negative and just say look yeah I got that wrong or I didn't quite see it like that and we still don't see it like that but I'll, I'll put it to I'll put it to other refs and I'll let you know what the view is um, and most decent people and I say we're talking almost all of the coaches really to be fair the, almost all will respect that pretty well um, of course we've had it slightly easier this year in the premiership because no relegation and that will always take that edge off a little bit. When that comes back, that whole heat of the battle regarding who finishes bottom is huge, possibly more so than the top because of the consequences financially on the club. So we're not aware that that's not going to come back again. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens when that comes back. Do you have to say sorry or not? I mean, because sorry is a big word, isn't of course. it? Like we discussed that last week when we were in Dubai at this referee camp because Steve Hansen came to talk to us as a former you know, World Cup winning coach and he was brilliant. He said, look, we don't want Sometimes the whole email, why something happened, we just want to know, was it right or wrong? And it's not about, um, sorry, it's not about, you know, we don't expect players to apologise when they knock the ball on. We don't expect players to apologise when they make a mistake of a high tackle. Exactly. It's just, 
you get some things wrong. And I don't think the word sorry is required most of the time. It just needs honesty and transparency in saying, yeah, I didn't see it that way. Clearly I did on the day because I gave that. But now watching it on the telly, I don't see it that way. So, yep, got it wrong. And you've got to trust that your ability and your confidence and everything else which follows suit of a good human being and a good ref and a good player or a coach is that one bad decision doesn't ruin your whole career. You know, if you make a wrong decision every single game, then you might have a few issues, but there's nothing wrong with just saying, yep, didn't see it that way. And next time I need to try and put this in place. Um, you know, I got a good example from that Romania-Italy game on the weekend. I'm watching a red card, which when I watch it back on the telly, to me is a clear red card. I'm watching it on the big screen. I don't see it that way. I'm thinking it's a yellow because I can't see him hit him in the head. Well, my TMO, the a French TMO, did really well of saying, no, Luke, have a look again, mate. He's, he's hit him straight in the head. Well, you know, if I give that as a yellow, then that's, that's the wrong decision. But you just need to have that trust in your people around you, in that environment you set up. And it's like any job, isn't it, Jim? That you reap what you sow in terms of building your team and building relationships. And people will want to help you if you build that right atmosphere. And that's one thing in refereeing that people don't see is the camaraderie. It's a single man's job, as in you're on your own out there. But the help that you get from the outside, from the TNO especially, is you can't do it without it. No one's good enough anymore to do this job on their own. Well, you can see that. And I think having you here to explain the process of the TMO is hugely valuable because you can see there's a frustration, even in the media. I might have said something before, but I don't. If I did, I don't mean it now because I think the TMO is so valuable. I almost think, right, you shouldn't name the TMO and you should let him make them huge decisions. I know that is it's it's a completely different mm. shift because you are the ref. I only say that in rugby because... There are so many grey areas, right? And when you freeze frame, like you just said, that you're on the pitch for the Romania-Italy game, you're seeing something on the big screen. You're so engaged in the atmosphere. Like, you know, imagine a World Cup final, right? And you're talking about millimetres, mm. right? That could is going to change the landscape of, I don't know, let's say Scotland were in the final. And you know this decision that you're about to make is the difference between Scotland winning a World Cup and them all becoming legends and changing the face and the culture of Scotland as a country. Do you know what I mean? That's what you're yeah, talking about in, in in that level. I can understand why referees would hide. but uh, That's probably the wrong word, but let's just say hide behind a TMO because that's some of the terminology being used. I think there's an element that we're seeing now. Would you agree that the TMO is maybe having more say or is encouraging you to maybe look at it again? I think the frustration of people watching the game is the time that it's taken. Mm. Do you think that will be reduced? So it's kind of a twofold question, really, when we talk about the TMO. I understand how important it is. I see huge value in them arguably having to make the bigger decision. We've now got this new um, protocol in place from the 1st of July, which hopefully will fix a lot of issues. We were, our hands were tied to a certain extent for the last couple of years because we were, I'll be honest, we were doing stuff outside of protocol. Coaches are going loopy because they're saying, well, hang on, why have you got this bit of paper with the guidelines and you're doing what you want anyway? So we went back to the drawing board and World Rugby put together a new protocol, including the referees' views, including the coaches' views. So hopefully we're, we're somewhere now where we'd want to be. We want to get the big stuff. And the big stuff being... If a try is scored and when they whack the replay on, it's clearly a massive knock-on. Well, if the whole world is seeing the knock-on, how can we give the try? Same with high tackles. If there's a massive smack to the head which knocks someone unconscious and they leave the field and we haven't seen it and the whole world has seen it, well, we need to be able to see those things. But we've got to get that balance right between games going on for more than two hours because people, get, people don't want to watch long, endless TMO reviews. They want to watch succinct, correct decisions that a game that flows with tries and everything else. So we're aware of that balance. Where we got to try and get better is when things end up on the screen. First of all, why they end up on the screen. So TMOs and directors have a really big role to play in saying, 
no, we need to get this on, on to the referee's attention because we've all seen around the world that there will be certain things that will end on screens and certain things that won't. I'm not saying that's director's faults. I'm not saying that's TMO's faults. That's as a referee. I can talk for the person in the middle. That's out of our hands. So what we, one thing we have to deal with then is when it ends up on the screen, how we deal with it and the time it takes. And I can speak from first-hand experience in if we rush things, the chance of getting it wrong is significantly higher. But we've got to get the balance between taking forever and watching endless replays when something might be obvious to someone else and then getting it balls up wrong decision because as you said at the start Jim we're now seeing more and more cards we're now seeing more and more controversial decisions so we've got to make sure we try and get those as right as possible or if they're not agreeable to everybody understandable to everybody so at least you know why we've gone for a yellow and not a red even though it could, could be red you know why we've gone down that line is so important and our job then becomes away from blowing things and getting things right or wrong is to then becoming a salesperson and actually selling the decision to, to the whole wider world because there's so many greys there's so many greys and we've got to try and convince people why we're doing something and why we think that is the right decision for their game so you said there's going to be a shift yeah so specifically so, what is that so the specific shift is that tmos can now make live decisions so if we're on the run referees can no longer ask the questions of the tmo but, Love it. but if but if you're my tmo jim and i'm running along and you see a massive knock-on you can say luke there's a knock-on by blue Stop the game, knock on by blue. That would be so much easier for you because then that takes out some of the stuff that we're talking about here. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It takes out the players shouting at you, yeah. your Peter Omanis, your Fazes, your Biggers, the ones that are quite vocal. You'd be like, TMO's called it. Yeah. And I like the fact, because of everything you've just said, that you can not hide behind it, but that's it. That's the way it is. Now, we've got to make sure the right people are in the van, though. And that's, well, that's where it becomes Not tricky. in the biscuit tin, like Goody says. Because what you, want, what you want is people that know what it's like to be in the middle, to a certain extent. You also want to know um, that that person is on the same page as you. So that whole previous week building up, you've got to make sure that what you're seeing the same and what you want to be told or put on the screen. And this whole word clear and obvious, which we always go back to, again, it's subjective because what might be clear to, to you might not be clear to me. You know, and I go back to Six Nations. We will get unlucky with stuff. Of course we will. Like Italy, Scotland, the game I refed, there's a knock on in the build up to the first try. We don't see it. No one sees it at all. And the protocol at the time was that once the conversion's taken, all bets are off, the, the try stands. And that protocol has now been altered to suggest that if a replay happens in the and that walk back to the halfway line, which shows a clear knock on, as it did, we can then refer that and say, "Hang on, clearly it's a massive knock on. I can't, I can't give that try." And it's just those little things that I think will make a massive difference to the way the TMO is perceived, because we've got to get away from this perception that our TMO is there, just a negative kind of killing the game, stopping the game, checking this, checking that. It's it's an invaluable tool now that we can't go back from. And you look at other sports and the way they use technology. Like there's, there's a lot of sports that are ahead of us, but, but there are other sports that are way behind us as well. Um, but as long as we don't remove that element of people will still get things wrong. We're not robots. TMOs aren't robots. Technology will be flawed sometimes. A director may throw one angle up, may not throw an angle up. We're trying to involve a lot of people's skills and technicalities here, which sometimes it won't work. And we got to accept that that's just mistakes will happen. We just hope the big stuff will get right. And on the big moments that you know, that match defining moment, which a team win or lose because of a try or not, a team go to the quarterfinals or semifinals because of a decision or not, we try and get those bang on right. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And I personally think that is the only way forward for all mm. the things you've just said. With the big decisions in games, to so say you make an unbelievably bad decision, not that you have. Which, um, which game is it? I can't think of one actually. <laughs> what, what games did you referee me? Do you remember the games? Of course you I do. My last, game, my last game that I remember refereeing you, Jim, was London Irish and Saracens in New York, Red Bull Stadium. 
Really? Was that the last game? Yeah, it was. Didn't play that well. I mean, it was a long week. Uh, we were doing content that week. Yeah. Good though, weren't it? Very good week. And I think it was the last game we played in the States, wasn't it? Or was there one after? I think Saracens ended up playing one more after I was gone. In Philadelphia, I think it was. Yeah. So if Prem Rugby are listening, it's a great venture to do. And there's a wow. massive market out there. That's it's the only only way. It's, it's the, the only, only way. six games a weekend out there. I know. Fantastic. It was class. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I remember I got treated harshly. By rep. Was there a perception or not? Be honest. Um, like, be I, honest, I, you're a bit of a twat on the pitch sometimes. Why? Because you're just a nuisance. Like you're putting yourself in wrong places, having to pop at someone, whacking someone. Mm. And it's hard, isn't it? We, we all know those players. Refereeing, you can't take preconceptions onto a field. But everyone, but, but we're human. That's human. Yeah, that's you a walk human down the instinct. street, and if you don't like someone, you next time you see them, you're not going to be like, oh, that's my best mate. That's 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 the way it is. So course you, you you carry a little bit of preconception about I someone's character more, it, that must be the hardest bit that must be the hardest bit like as in me as a human the way that i am as much as i'm trying to evolve and be better and have more patience if i've got an opinion on someone i've seen enough to kind of cement my opinion mm. it is near on impossible for me to not change that even if i bite my lip and not yeah. say anything i will be like if i think this bloke's a shit bloke and it's deep rooted. It's so difficult. So yeah. you basically say I was a shit bloke. The thing. I mean, yeah. I mean, you got better over time. I'll give you that. It's oh, progressed. I definitely did. Yeah. Um, well, I had limitations. That was all. I had nothing else. But I you know, one thing. That. One thing that taught me as well, Jim, is people were in their stripes in any walk of life, in any job. And I started as a kid. Like I was what twenty when I was in the Premiership. And for the first thirty games, I made some howling mistakes. You know, I did Saracens London Welsh. You may have played naturally. Saracens London Welsh. Um, London Welsh had a pushover scrum. I end the game on, a, on an incomplete scrum. Totally wrong decision. London Welsh, poor bugs got relegated that year. And, you know, you look back on some of those howlers and you deserve to get some of the flack that you get. But then also, as over time progresses and people realise that you, you're in it for the long haul and you're doing an okayish job, you get that respect from people and respect from players and coaches and everything else. So I think that, that comes across as, as players as well. And one of the things that I think is working much better and is progressing is that captain-ref relationship. And it's so important. Like, it's so important to have a decent relationship between the two. And I've had experiences in the past where I've replaced captains and it's just been a shambles. I come off that Harlequin Saracens game where I picked the phone up at Jackson Ray because I was like, mate, that is not my style to make to belittle you, to make you look an idiot. To give someone who I didn't even know the name of the captaincy of the rest of the game. What happened with that? I lost I my remember head. it. Yeah, but I who, lost my but who with with uh, Jack with Jackson Ray and yeah, some of the because he was boys. shouting back because the, yeah that you probably and this is why I said I don't know what I said on the podcast but I said not that you'd lost control but it was what did I say do you remember flustered oh that was the other game that was another Saris game oh was it yeah, yeah. But was it against Quinns or not yeah though? yeah it was yeah and one because, of the... because then my point being as in you've probably got the two most chirpsy teams both now to the ref. And Quinns have always done that. And Saracens have now got that in them. I hated it when it, like, that was the big thing for me is how opinionated loads of the players. Like, it was just, you could hear it. You can hear it through, through the ref. Mark. I played in amongst it. I didn't like that part of it. Mm. See, I was a good bloke. No, you are oh, no, Jim, it's coming across the wrong way. You were a good bloke. No, I, I know. But in terms of. I think of... you renewed your insurance on my old man a few times as well. So that always helps as well. <laughs> but I think, again, I go back to this example of how we're hopefully maturing as a group of refs. I had an instant extra V Saris. It's not always Saris, but extra V Saris with Billy Vanapola in December. And I marched him 20 metres. And I looked ridiculous. I'm sprinting down the pitch. I remember it. He got me. I bit. He got me, and I'm sprinting down the pitch, marching 20 metres. I then marched another 10. And I come off that pitch and I thought, Luke, that is not your style. That is not your personality. Of course, you're there to ref. Of course, you're there to not take the shit if someone's abusive. But there's a fine balance between how you deal with people and making them look stupid and coming out of your style. 
So again, another conversation with Jackson. I've got his number on speed. I'll have a phone. You know, that, I, I had a good chat with him in the week. But then I went into Sarri's a couple of months ago for a training session. I spent the day, just a couple of scrums, a couple of lineouts, a couple of games. And I just apologised. Not to apologise for my behaviour because Billy was a little bit rude to me. But I actually said, mate, that's not my style. I'm sorry if it came across that way. That's not how I operate. I'm hoping that him and I will be in the Premiership for much longer years. So... I don't want that to be my reputation. And going back to that word, sorry, it's not apologising for what you've done. It's just making sure that going forward, people know what you're about and what you're trying to be, because that's the most important point to me. How I, where I end up going in my career, what I end up doing, I've done a lot of things that I'm very proud of. One of the things that when I finish refereeing in, I don't know, 10, 12 years, I want to look back and people go, yeah, Luke, yeah, decent bloke. Give his best, didn't get it always right, but did his best. You know, did really well at it and is now finishing. What I don't want to look back is fall out of rugby and be like, oh yeah, God, that guy, what a, what a dicky. Great ref, shit bloke. Yeah, because I don't, I don't no. want to be remembered as that. You know, that's mm. and that's one of the things that a lot of the players who are now coming to their end of their careers and finishing, you know, the good guys, you know, the good people. You'll always rock up and you'll see them at grounds. And I think that's one thing that's special in rugby is that there aren't that many. There aren't that many shit blokes around. Mm. There aren't. There's always one or two. That's and like any walk of life, isn't it? But there's there's not that many around. And the longer you're in it, the more you get exposed to that and the more you see it. Absolutely. Well, that is it, isn't it? I toy with myself. Sounds dodge that. <laughs> I mess around with my own mind. Right. Yeah. Having watched the Jordan doc, right? Everyone spoke about mm. that at the last dance and how good that was. And you wonder whether Michael Jordan was a decent bloke or not. Obviously, he was an unbelievable yeah. player. You know, Jacques Berger always said something to me, and I think he might have even said it to the team, when people ask him about his experiences and stuff like that. And I've kind of just piggybacked what he said, but it is true and it's deep-rooted. People will say, what was your best moment? Like, you know, what was it like doing this? What, what was it like winning that? Or, you know, nearly winning the wooden spoon for Scotland? What was it like playing in World Cups? And genuinely, I don't remember it for any other reason is that deep-rooted to me was the people and the experience. And when it's all said and done, I don't have much memorabilia in my house. That's just the way that I am. It always goes back to the person and to the experience of being in that team. And that's what makes me smile. So mm. when I think about my career, and I very rarely go back, it's absolutely that point. And I know, you know, there's a bit of self-deprecation and you can play it down and stuff like that. I played 10 years internationally. I won two European Cups, three premierships, whatever. I don't ever think about them things genuinely. I smile when I think about Harry Ellis, you know what I mean? Petrus Dupassi, yeah. uh, Will James at, at Gloucester, and, Andy Hazel. And Jim, it's amazing when you go around the, you know, you mentioned Petrus there, coaching now in Australia. You know, you reap what you sow as well. Because when we go down to Australia and you have a scrum meeting with, with Petrus, he already knows you. These guys, you know, these guys know you already. And it's irrelevant when they watch your scrums, whether you get things right or wrong. That's a small percentage. When you rock up for a coffee, people will either go, oh yeah, I like, I like him. Oh, I like what they're about. Or they'll go, fucking here we go. Yeah. We do it. That's human nature, that isn't is it? human nature. You know, and I just want to be make sure that humility is a massive part of referee and we work in a job that's selection based. You know, there's no doubt that I would have loved to referee the premiership final this year, but Barnsley had a better season than me. He's done his 10th final for God's sake, but he's a great guy. A good bloke will always, you know, when I did the European Cup final last year, he was the first person to come up, shake my hand and go, well done, mate, good on you. You know, and then, and then ran touch for me and gave it his all. So it's that kind of ability in a selection-based environment to be able to switch on and off the competitive edge and go, yeah, actually, that's fine. That's the way it is. Well done. Move forward. And it's it's, it's amazing, isn't it? There's, we discuss this refereeing stuff. There's so much more behind it that actually just comes across from just blowing your whistle and being right or wrong or not. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. 
You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Yeah, I think it's so important that you're chatting to me and, and giving the millions of listeners a kind of snapshot on what that is. But the selection thing's interesting. Mm. I think we touched on it. So, like, how do you get selected for a final? So, it's obviously, it comes out the week before. I, I'm trying to think as a player whether we knew who the referee was the week before the week, if it was a final. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it's announced, is it? It's the nah, week Nah, times, times have changed. I mean, when I first started, we'd know five or six weeks worth of games where we're going to go. And very rarely would they change, depend, even irrelevant of performance. Now it's week-to-week performance. You, may you can get, get dropped? Oh, God, yeah. Really? Yeah, God, yeah. I've been dropped numerous times over the 12 years. Um, and it's not... it's not. An, it is dropped in the big scheme of things, but it's also a bit of self-protection for that ref as well. Because if you have an absolute howler and you're getting a load of shit, sometimes the best thing to do is not be thrown back into the environment. Sometimes it is, but sometimes, depending on that personality, it's better off just pulling them out just for a couple of weeks and then planting them back in once the once the dust has settled. Whereas other refs would, you know, so I always remember Spreader saying to me when I cocked over that London Welsh game, mate, get back out there. Um, and that selection thing, we get told on a Monday afternoon for Premiership where we're going to go, and that's confirmed by the, the management group. Again, it's subjective. Again, it's based on data and stats from that previous week. So it's a pretty thorough system. It's selection, and people will pick and choose who they feel is the right person for that job. Um, you just hope that you do enough over that course of that previous months in that season to make sure that you're in the in the billing for the bigger stuff at the end. And, you know, again, as soon as you come accepting to that sometimes you'll be selected, sometimes you won't, the, the better you'll do. Because if you just hang up every single time on, God, I haven't got that game, got to get that, got to get that, you're in the wrong business because you won't last long. It'll just break you down mentally. There's been a shift, definitely. Yeah. Whether or not you can say that, and you might be able to tell us that. I think back to the first red card. I think it was Will Spence, Leicester, was the adjusting defender steps mm. in. Completely innocuous, it seemed. Red card, bang, social media blows up. Because that's ultimately the minute with media, that's the only way yeah. we can do it, unless you're on commentary, and you can speak about it then. And obviously, when you go back then, there was uproar. We know the reasons why now around concussion, that has all accelerated. And then it feels like now as we stand in July that we're recording and you think about what we've seen, you know, in your game, for example, in the semi-final where I said you were flustered. Were you flustered or not? Fucked. Yeah. Like by the 78 minutes. Yeah, absolutely. There was so much that was going on, but the one out of that was the Billy Vanapola, Esther Hazen incident. Let's go forward to the final with who you and me and many people agree, Wayne Barnes, one of the best referees to have ever done it. Yellow cards, Alan Davis for a shot on Julian Montoya, which... Everyone on social media, to a man, to a woman, not that we know, but most people would say that was a red card, it was a yellow, right? Retrospectively, I think he got... He got a three-week ban. He got a three-week ban, so it should have been a red card. It seems that there's been a shift now around mitigation, whereas before, you wanted to red card people, mm. even when it was, it was a 50-50 to the point now where it seems like you do not want to red card players, unless um, you're head-put people like yeah. Darcy Swain. And I think the... I think the perception is that there has been a shift, clearly, and we can't deny that. I think if you actually drill down in the detail on why there's been a bit of a um, change in that level of cards, the 2019 World Cup, when this was first brought in, or just before 2019, it was a head contact sanction framework. There was no wiggle room. Your hands were tied. Hit someone in the head, stood upright, you're gone. Red card. 
we're now in 2022. We've got a head contact process, which may mean nothing to nobody, but it does to us because that enables us to judge on the level of danger, which again, as soon as you bring judgment, it makes things not so black and white and a bit more gray. So then how we judge level of danger is, you know, is somebody falling? Is someone always upright? Are there, is there a change in dynamics of that tackle? Is it a two man tackle? Is it, is somebody being lowered? Is someone legal to start with? There's so many different factors. And we've just got a little bit, a little bit unlucky, a little bit unlucky. You know, you look at head on head collisions and tackles and we're trying to get rid of them. But we want to red card the stuff that looks like a red card. And we go back to that final. I was on touch with Arnsie. I called it yellow live. He said, what do you reckon? I was like, mate, it looks like yellow to me. I didn't think it looked like a red. And of course, then you watch it back and you go, yeah, OK, I can now understand people's arguments for that red card. And you look at the semi-final as well. And of the four incidents, you know, the Lazowski one is, is probably closer to red now than yellow when I looked at it on the day. And we had an interesting meeting in Dubai where World Rugby made it clear to us that whilst they're all for allowing our judgment of level of danger, we can't opt out of an easier decision. So if an easier decision is a red card, we can't look to apply mitigation just to get it to yellow because we want to. And I'm not saying that's where we got to, but that's probably the perception that's out there at the moment is that we were just looking not to red and give more yellows than that. And it's not through deliberate um, mind process. It's not through anything of not wanting to give reds, but perhaps we just let that rope go a little bit too far. And every instance is different in it, Jim. Like we still want the red cards when you press play and everyone goes, yep, that's a red. We don't want to go finding red cards for, for nothing, but we just got to get back to trying to keep that game as safe as possible. And if we, if we were to clip out the incidents from that um, semi-final of Saracen's Quinns, the Alad Davis example, a few other examples from across France and across the other games where we've gone yellow instead of red. We probably just need to get back on track a little bit in taking the easy red cards, but also not jumping the gun either and just giving reds for anything. I mean, I think that's just a fine balance to find. And it's weird, isn't it, mate, when we spent years trying to convince people why things should be red cards and we got all the shit, all the flack for giving red cards. We're now getting flack the other way around, which potentially is an answer in itself that we we just took our foot off the gas a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, again, without dishing out red cards for anything, which is just, just got to get that balance back on, back on kilter again, I think. Yeah, the, the one that made me think that there was a shift now, you may be able to answer around the terminology, and it won't be exact, so people don't hold me to it, but when the Ala Davis one, let's use that one, because that, in my opinion, was a straight red card. Obviously, you're closer to it than me. I'm watching it on TV, but you could say, I've got a better view of it because I'm watching it on TV. Mm. There's a load of replays. The terminology was used around the fact that he won the collision. That was the terminology used because he won the collision and Ali Davis, you know, kind of went back. Like, I think... I don't know what that means. When everyone hears about level of danger, it's hard to accept that something is highly dangerous. And correct me if I'm wrong. It's hard to accept that something is highly dangerous when a player bounces off him. Because if a player bounces off someone and carries on running... And I say, well, that's highly dangerous. Yeah, I might have a couple of factors to say it, but how can it be really highly dangerous? And where I think that, you know, perhaps I got caught a little bit short in that semi-final was just being convinced that who wins that hit and who comes off second best, like a tackle. With, so when Billy hit Esther Hayes and exactly. he kind of went back, Billy went back, didn't he? Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, you take that Billy one, for example, going back to the TMO stuff. If, if that doesn't end up on the screen, all people talk about is a hell of a hit by Esther Hayes and on Billy rather than a, an act of foul play by Billy. Because I saw that and I didn't think harsh. So when didn't I initially flinch. saw it, no, I didn't. No, no, I just thought Billy's been sat down. That's... And, but my TMO is being told by the director that he's going to put it on the screen and it shows head contact. So my TMO's hands are then almost tied because he knows once it ends up on the screen, I'm going to have to talk about it. And the fans get involved. And the crowd go nuts. And the players. And the players <laughs> see it. And you've already had two or three yellows beforehand, which then, of course, yeah, adds I, to everything. Of and course. 
this goes back to the point of just getting the big stuff, always the big stuff. What's hard, though, is we don't have commentary in our ears when we're in the middle. We don't know what people are talking about. Um, contradictory to what everyone thinks, our TMOs in the Premiership turn the commentary off in the van. So all they're doing is concentrating on what they think I was going to ask that. Is. Genuinely? Yeah, promise you. It just seems like the way that the timing works with that, when Austin picks something up. And we've got to get away from that. Like One thing, don't get me wrong, the commentators are fantastic at what they do. They're brilliant. And they add a lot of insight and expertise into how we referee as well. Week in, week out, they'll pop messages through on asking questions. But we're also the best at what we do in the Premiership. And we've got to trust our level of judgment, not just off what popular opinion may be. And of course, hopefully, a lot of things will carry over and agreement in both camps. But there will be times where we will think something is X and they will think Y. And as long as we trust our processes behind what we do it, we can back it up and go with it. And it is. I mean, we, we, we've really worked hard on that this season in trying to just trust our own judgment and trust our process and that the people we got in the van are the right people to do the job. But you'll always end up with scenarios in rugby where things will end up on screens and then you have to deal with it. And that's, this is the only issue about a framework about a head contact framework, because if there is head contact, we've still got a bit of wiggle room about is there foul play or not. But it's judgmental. And it's, you know, there are judgments and my judgment may be different to yours. And all we try and bang on about with our TMOs is just work off facts. So if you hit me really hard in the head, my TMO is going to say, Luke, you're going to watch number four, Saris, hit somebody, hit number 12 with his shoulder to the head. Okay, show you're me that. You're 12, one. are you? Show me that. Wow, I'm backing myself here, aren't I? <laughs> I'm no Esther Hazen, but... Um, Stick it on the screen then, put it on the screen. I'm, and then it's my job then to interpret how bad I think it is. So all the facts, do we have head contact? Yeah. Is it foul play? Yeah, I do see it as foul play because you're upright and I'm two foot four. Wax me in the head. Okay, so what level of danger? And then that's down to me. And my level of danger is how I interpret it and how I explain it. Contradicting that as a TMO is really tricky to do because just because you think or you thought that Alan Davison was red on the day, I thought yellow on the day. Clearly, I'm probably in the camp of being wrong. But how you challenge that just based off judgment is really, really difficult. Whereas if you just stick to facts, hopefully we get to the right conclusion, but occasionally we will end up on a on a different page. And it's just trying to get those about right. Because of course, they're big moments, aren't they? And they what take attention to the whole game and we end up on the screen and we don't particularly want to be. But people now expect decisions to be made on these kind of tackles and it's, it just makes life a, a bit trickier in what is already a hard enough role as it is. I was going to mention about how hard the role is the players coming up screaming at you now is becoming more and more. Almost seems like a fashionable thing to do. And if one player does it, another player does it. There was an element and there is an element of that kind of football yeah. thing. Obviously, you've still got complete control, which is great in rugby. How difficult is that? And you've got these um, testosterone fueled big men. Mate, it's a balance of everything, isn't it? Because you want passion in the game. You want people, you know, cup finals are cup finals for a reason. They're the biggest games and you want to be in the middle of doing them. You don't want to be oversensitive to people being emotive, but there's a line that you don't want to be crossed either. And how you get that there or thereabouts right is really tricky because you go hard too early. You end up binning people and red carding people. You set your bar and your threshold very, very high. And again, it's trying not to be centre of attention, but trying to also keep that, that game values element in it as well. And we're, we're not naive enough to know that if we let all this go at the top end, you go to Exeter Saracens and some, someone there is going to give the referee a boatload of grief because they're sitting on the telly. So we have an ounce of responsibility. I'm hoping it's getting better. I think in the Premiership, you know, we're, we've tried to be stronger on it. It's not always the case that we, we sanction it, but hopefully we're getting to a stage where players know it's not acceptable. Well, I think it's good what you did with Billy. I, I think that that is the only oh, way. I, and listen, I, I don't disagree with the fact that he was rude, so he got March 10. What I mean is your de my demeanour of how I carried Yeah, your out. emotion. My, I got, I, he, he, he yeah, clipped yeah. me. You know when someone gets to you and you, you're just gone. 
And how you carry yourself out in this industry is so important. You know, I always remember Chris White, who's our boss, saying you're like a swan above water. You look absolutely fine above water. Fine. Underneath, your legs are going like fuck because you don't know what's happening. Your head's gone. But you're just trying to keep everything kind of normal. You're trying to act as if you're absolutely not under pressure, even though the world might be watching a decision. And you know that. So it's, it's all about those little things. But going back to that values bit, it's just so important that we hammer, keep hammering home that importance of that relationship. But not just players to us we got to earn that back as well. And I think, you know, we as refs work hard on that relationship with players because if we do that, we can't be held responsible then for how a player reacts to us. If we're rude to somebody, you're going to expect 10 barrels back because that's the way the world works in any walk of life. So you've got to make sure that that relationship is a two-way street, not just expecting respect for, for nothing. Mm. Alan Roland, I remember. That's his name, isn't it? It is, yeah. Oh, hated him. I'm going to say he hated me. Rollins, that's not why. me saying it. That is Jim saying No, he, hate, like, he would not <laughs> engage... <laughs> He would not engage with me. Is he Irish, right? Yeah. I make sure it's the right man. He hated me. Did you like? I, did you like engaging refs? As in referees who engage back? Loved it. I, oh, I, I, for me, especially as I matured, I felt like it was so important to have a relationship with referees. Mm. I think for me, the number one, because then you trust them. Yeah. Even if it's blind trust. I love Barnsley, yourself, uh, spreaders. When I was a young lad coming through, Dave Pearce, and he, Dave Pearce, actually red carded me twice I think yeah and yellow carded me more than any other ref but I enjoyed him he did the game at London Irish he did we had a scrap my legacy on, yeah on the wall there it wasn't just any scrap it was the and biggest Stu scrap Terridge, ever Stu who's now a TMO was the touch judge that day threw his flag in if you see it, the clip on YouTube and I think he got pushed over at some point well <laughs> the way the story goes is apparently he broke his arm and had three plates put in I compensation don't... this week mate be fine oh I mean that's when rugby was like that I love referees that you could have a chat with and engage yeah. so I wanted to ask about a couple of law changes mm. that you potentially would want I don't know whether you're allowed to share that one of the big things that I speak about which as a player I absolutely loved but as a spectator now and speaking frankly whether or not you say it or not I think the general consensus is people want to see less scrums because there can be a free-for-all they're yeah. obviously one of the most difficult part of the game to referee because there's so much going on. So line out drives when they're held up, if you like. Now I know that part of the game more than any part of the game. That counter rucking and charge down, that was my super skill, as I like to say. But the mauling part of the game and the, the held up in the tackle, and then it goes to a scrum. Yeah. I would, as a spectator and a commentator, I would change that because when that happens, slows the game down. It's a scrum. Is yeah. there anything where you're looking at it and be like, this is... Um, my big one, and I, I, not you know, great. I don't have any credibility to change laws. I'm not, you know, it's well above my pay grade. But when I give a free kick at the scrum for a team to opt for another scrum, it sucks the life out of that decision. You know, I've made a decision to go, yeah, especially when it's against the putting in team, because people expect the ball to come back for that team putting in. You go against and think, yeah, brilliant. I've got it right. Bang, blow your whistle. Everyone walks away. And then the captain goes, oh, another scrum, please, ref. And then everyone comes back towards you and it sucks like two or three minutes. So I'd love to see something different there. But again, a scrum coach will just counteract me. I think one of the great changes, and people will also throw arguments back, is that goal line dropout. I think it's a really good... You like it. I love it. Even as an Exeter man. Yeah, well, you know, ex oh, you know I live in Exeter. Yeah, you but don't know, you're not an Exeter, Exeter man. Exeter Saracens in my team, not, yeah. not Chiefs. But it keeps that game flowing. You know, I'm a big fan of trying to keep games moving. Keep game, keep that ball in play as much as we can. So if we can get that, and I understand the argument that, you know, it doesn't give a team a second chance and you don't get another bite of the cherry, but well then just try and be better at getting it over the goal line in the first place. And if you can do that successfully, and away we go. But also you get the ball back in play and hopefully the, the team who have been held up get the ball back anyway. And it's only going to be, what, maximum of 50 metres if someone 
can boot it that far. So I really like that change. The 5022 is good, eh? 5022 is great, but you try and remember it, mate. You oh, try and okay. remember that when you're running around because it, it we got so many different things now to consider. Has there been a tackle? Where is it? Where is it kicked from? Is it bounce first? Is it not? So again, one of the things that I do, I try and, and when Tom Foley's my TMO, who I'm close with, I always get him to say, mate, I need you to do 5022s because I ain't got a Scooby. When he boots the ball, I may not know, so I need you to correct me. So 5022 is good. Um, and I think that will probably be it now before the World Cup. Obviously, there's a couple of trials now coming in with the water breaks, which is interesting, which is actually quite a good step forward, I think. Not allowing water carriers to come on and off as they want every stoppage, having two designated stoppages per half. Just... Is that because of Rassi? Um, I, not just Razzy. There's numerous coaches over the world and in the Premiership. We were just getting too much crap. We were getting too much flack, too much, too many stoppages, and too many people running on with instructions like... I don't know how teams operate, how you did when you were when you were playing, Jim, but you train all week. There's no real reason then to stop the game every three, four minutes because a player's getting his, you know, ankle taped up and coming on with messages and more messages. Like let everyone just get on with their job. And of course there's there's interludes then at fifteen minutes, thirty minutes ish where you can get messages on, but let's just get the game going and flowing and hopefully it makes it a bit of a better spectacle to watch. There's nothing worse than when you're in a game where teams just constantly sending a player down. And we get it all the time now where players are saying, well, come on, you can see nothing's wrong with him. Well, I can see that, but I'm not a doctor or a physio and I'm not going to tell someone to get up and get on with it and then break their neck in a scrap. Yeah, especially now. Like, that's everything. just not going to happen. And it, that, that puts us in a really tricky position. And that's where we just got to rely on people behind us up the chain saying, actually, no, we need to stop this behaviour because you can't do that. You can't keep stopping the game for no reason. But it's certainly not. I don't think of all the jobs. I don't think that's a referee's job at the moment. Captain's challenge. Uh, Surely that's an easy one for you as a ref to hide. I see, keep saying hide behind, but you could be like, let's use Faz. Faz, mate, you've had your challenge. That's it. And then everyone knows, mm. mate, you've had it. Biggs, you've had it. Done. The only problem with it, now I, I like Captain's Challenge. I'm a referee that likes talking to people anyway. And even though we haven't got the Captain's Challenge in place, when something goes wrong, you still get asked questions by players. What about that? Or what about that hit in the head? So it's not necessarily a Captain's Challenge, but we still have that relationship where we might end up watching something because the Captain might say, look, I'm pouring blood here. What's going on? Which, of course, will get your attention to watch the telly. And I watch other sports. You know, you watch the cricket, tennis, where it's very simple. It's black and white. If you if you get your challenge right, you keep your challenge the only problem with rugby is it's a bit more grey as we've discussed over this time, but hopefully we've got a protocol in place now which will mean that we get the big stuff. Irrelevant how many challenges, who's speaking to us. We're trying to keep that element of refereeing that the referee in the middle is still the, in charge. If you dilute it too much, we're going to end up having four or five refs, which we can't get it right with one of us in the middle, let alone four or five of us. So again, it's finding that balance with it all, but... You know, give this new protocol a chance, and I think it will come through to show that it's going to be a good step forward rather than a step back. Scrums, how many in the game on average would a referee get right? Do you think get right? Or how many scrums? Are, well... There must be a general because when you look at it, they are. You know, you, you listen to David Flatman; yeah. he knows it inside out. Flats is my scrum coach, so I use his as my scrum Perfect. guru. But even even I will disagree on him on some stuff, and that's he will disagree with World Rugby scrum coach sometimes on certain clips, and that's what we're working in scrums, isn't it? All we aim to do, or certainly what I aim to do, is if we're going to turn that ball over, then there can't be debate and there can't be argument because that's a massive decision to go from... If we give a free kick or a penalty to the team putting the ball in, then, of course, it's still a big moment, but people expect that team to get the ball back. When you turn that ball over is when you end up getting the grief and we can't get those wrong. If we get those wrong, we're in we're in real bother. But I think scrums are moving touch wood in, in a better place. In a better direction, we're getting a better attitude from players. I think the break foot from the hookers will see more scrums completed and more stability and a better height. Um, but you know, as much as I know about scrums, is is certainly not up there with 
you know, expert scrum coaches and we were always trying to get better and trying to improve those and getting the ball back in play, really. Is there a percentage, though, or not? that across right. the board, Yeah, getting right where you, everyone oh, would be like... Look, if we, get, if we get one wrong a game, then you won't be shot at. But you don't aim to get one wrong a game. You aim to get 100% correct. But there will always be a debate because don't forget, on a scrum call, we get a split moment to make a decision about a loose head or a tight head. And we're trying to watch a break foot, a tight head's feet, a bind, the loose head shape, their back, height... So, of course, there'll be moments where you make a snap decision. And when you watch it back, you go, oh, yeah, actually, there's a good argument for, for number one getting that wrong rather than number three. It's impossible. The scrum's an impossible one. But what isn't impossible is the bloody feed. Why is that not being picked up now? Because if we get more ball in play and more scrums at a better height and then that comes back onto our radar, we can then referee the feed of the scrum. At the moment, our priority is getting that ball in the scrum, keeping it safe, keeping it up and getting the ball back in play. Of course, if they really take the piss, then we can't ignore it. But like the line out more at the moment, our focus is shifted line out to more now on basics. Throwing's got to be straight. Like we've gone down the line of allowing so much on the outside arm and just get on with it. So our focus is coming back onto that. But that there is so many things on the law book and in, 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 on, the, on the agenda which we could make a focus. If we do that, we're going to end up with 50 stoppages a game, 40 penalties, tons of scrums. And we go back to that commercial element. Nobody wants to pay to watch that. Great answer. Because so, that is that is absolutely it. So I know the answer, but I just needed you to tell the listeners that that is the case. We're not there to provide entertainment. We're there to referee a law book with an understanding that it needs to be a decent game. And you can't. Some games are just hard and aren't very entertaining. And we just got to roll our sleeves up and referee them. But there are other games which you can make more entertaining. Um, and it's getting that balance between refereeing the law book and also knowing that there's so many laws and going, no, I'm just not going to apply that one right now because of this. Is that why when New Zealand fly into the breakdown like torpedoes, that it's just Don't happening so quick? Don't know what you mean. <laughs> uh, and that's, you know, that's, the, that's the hard part about it, is picking the ones that we need to get right. Because, you know, with, like I go back to that comment at the start, two, 300 tackles a game, you're going to have 100-odd rucks a game. There's going to be a boatload of penalties if you someone to look at a law book and say, well, they and, can't And do headshots, as Head in hits. arms tucked in, yeah. in rooks. And that's why I love the fact, and we're in agreement on the TMO's influence. I think it is so important for people to understand when they're listening to you and listening to other people and watching a game of rugby that as much as they want to celebrate the tribe, well, they get to celebrate it twice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. and, and I think it takes off, off all the pressure that we're talking about that you're having to deal with, you know, um, the women coming into the game that naturally they're going to have to deal with, which is great to see that they're taking that leap and having the confidence to do that, mm. that, that you've got a TMO there that can arguably look after them big decisions. Um, just quickly then, some of the lads that you work with, tell me some of the characters. So we've now put, we know you're a good lad, like we've heard you chat, people listen to the podcast. Who else is in the refereeing group that are good lads, that are good characters. Mate, hand on heart, we've got a really good bunch now. We've always had a good bunch. Refs, we're a unique kind of clique that you've got to be a bit odd to want to be a ref. And you end up falling into it, not by design, but just by accident. Got a good bunch. You know, we've got with Barnsley, who's still there, uh, who's, you know, making sure that we're all on the straight and narrow. But he's bringing his messes, Polly, to everything. He's, isn't she, is she running the show or not? No. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> no, Polly's great fun. Uh, could probably drink us all under the table on a, on a trip away. Oh, good honour. But no, like, they're all a good bunch. We've got a really good kind of mixture now of experience between those who have us, like me, have been in a job 12 years. I started as a young kid in it, and I'm now progressing to be one of the more, um, more senior people in our team. 
along with you know Matt Carley. We've got different characters. Christoph's great fun. Looks like he's 12, but he's been in the job for a little while now, but will always be there or thereabouts. Um, and, and we've got a good social element. One of the things we're trying to do now is just become, uh, on a Monday night at Twickenham, is step away from our work mode and actually enjoy each other's company a bit more. Because when we're in the heat of battle, you need your mates who know you inside out to go, yeah, I, he needs my help. Tom Foley and I travel from the Southwest every Monday together. He knows, I don't have to brief him as my TMO anymore because he knows from my body language when he needs to come into me and when he doesn't because he can see my how I'm reacting. Tempo lives up in, in Liverpool. We'll always add that. That's... Why is he living in Liverpool? Oh, mate, play rugby up there. We did a live show up there. There's about four people that turned up. <laughs> <laughs> but he's always in the mix. You know, he's great fun. Um, Sarah, obviously an extra as well. She's our, our leader from the women's side of stuff and getting the premiership. So we've got, like really, yeah. we got a really good blend now. Um, how we keep progressing is the hardest part because sounding cliche, if we all just stand still at the moment, we're, we're just going to not go any further. And we've got four of us competing for that World Cup spot. We've got Christoph competing for to run touch of the World Cup. We've got two or three TMOs competing for World Cups. And how you keep that um, that team atmosphere whilst competing against each other is is a is a unique kind of twist. But I think we're we're striking that balance about right at the moment and rewarding performance and also making sure that people are working for each other as well and not just flying solo. What about fitness? You have got to be up for oh, honest with me. I remember spreaders knocking about with oh, a bum bag awful. hanging over. Barnsy don't he's aging. I mean, we all age. Do you know what I mean? You start bending forward. Surely. You're so, hammering Barnsley in the fitness test. Uh, I'm not hammering. I'm fair play to the lad. He's. I said to him, we were in Dubai last week at this camp for World Rugby and we've got to run the Bronco test. We've got to run it under five something. Individually or are you we run racing it as a, against we, each other? We run it as a big group. Oh, this is so good. Is Come brutal, on then. Which is brutal. So we've got a couple of lads take their tops off at the start. Who? Like, I can't name names. The French boys love a tops off. <laughs> tops really? off Bronco. I mean, it's hot, mate. It's 30 odd degrees. Yeah, but still. Sweating, it's Sweating your face yeah. off. Um, Barnsley's all, I mean, what's Barnsley now? 43, 44. And he's still, is that how old he is? Yeah. And he's still hitting the requirements after all these years, which yeah, requirements though, is, is it? So is, that's your way of saying he's at the back, but he's still, he's passing the test. He's passing the test. Um, Christoph's ridiculous. I mean, he, he'll still be running now if we didn't stop him. He's just a machine. The best? Oh, easily. Really? Yeah, he's running okay. a four minute 12 or something in Bronco, which is obscene. Um, the rest of us all there in the mix. And it's, mate, it's changed so much. When I started 2010, we used to meet at once every month. You had Whitey, Andrew Small, um, Dave Pearson. We'd rock up in the gym with a broomstick and just doing mobility stuff. And I'm thinking, what, what have I got into here? Well, now we're at a stage where we're, we're calipered every three weeks. We're, Who's struggling on them? The calipers um, is fat testing for the listeners. struggling on them? Well, Spreaders was recording the results over in Dubai because he's now one of the big wig selectors. So he was uh, noting all the numbers down. He's not bothered about the calipers, is he? Had, he, he I remember he had no, a, he didn't give a, a, hoot, a, but... a big big rubber ring around him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but he's... Uh, You've not given me the answer. Who's uh, struggling on the calipers? Who's struggling on the calipers? To be fair, I don't think anyone's struggling. I mean... Barnsley, there's a bit in there. I mean, it's just age, just naturally. And also, you, like, I've got my Guinness pouch on the side here. He, if you want to take this job ridiculously serious, you could do, but you ain't going to have the fun and have the beard as well. So you've got to have the right balance, haven't you? Um, there's no one really struggling. I think the group's relatively fit now, relatively fit. But, you know, we've just got to keep on trying to... The hardest part is just keeping that going and keeping that weight off, which when you head over to Canada and the States, it's, it's a bit easier said than done, isn't it? Because visually, like, you're looking in your prime... Poor Barnsley, we just said, we know re the reason why is 44 or whatever. It's just a natural... I mean, I'm nearly 40 and I'm <laughs> bending forward slightly. But that's a part of it, isn't it? Is, is you know, part of the new age of sport yeah. and media is being in decent shape, shirt tighter, I reckon, I reckon, tan teeth. I reckon 
Don't get my teeth done. I've got a natural tan. Are they your real teeth as genuine. well? Genuine. Lucky bucket. Genuine. Um, it's a Devon sunshine, I think, gives me a bit of colour. But I genuinely think in any job now, you got to look. You got to look apart. If you want to be taken seriously, you need to look like the real deal. And that's not about being show off and about having gel in your hair and looking like you know like you just come off the off a sunbed at all. But it's just you need to look the part. And if people want to take you seriously, especially in refereeing now. You need to be fit enough. No longer can you be miles away, running around and giving a decision from 15 metres away because people will just laugh at you. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that's it's made a massive step forward. And hopefully we don't keep punching the numbers down because there's only so many Broncos you can run where you get quicker and quicker without bending over sidles when you finish. Last question then. Toughest game you've ever ref? One that sticks out where you like it was toughest, hardest, or you made a toughest. bad call, something that lives with you? Toughest game will be France-Wales, I think. Um, the Grand Slam game... Uh, 20 or last year 2021 where Wales were winning by 10 points with about five six minutes to go and end up losing the game we had cards we had an eye gouge against Paul Valempse we had two yellows against Wales in the last five minutes and I came off and I didn't know where my head was you know you, one team have gone from winning a grand slam to losing it so of course that comes with the emotional attachment from the team so there's that game I wouldn't put Saracens Quins too far behind the list either from this season in that semi-final because that had everything that doesn't normally happen in the game. You know, you, the emotional attachment between both teams, you don't get that normally at international level because there's not that knowledge and understanding of both teams. Well, but, I'll say it, hatred. Yeah. And one thing as a ref is you, you're aware of this stuff, but you just need to kind of try and just referee the job in front of you whilst understanding they're trying to knock 10 bells out of each other at the same time. Trying to get that, again, I use the word balance a lot on here. Refereeing is all about that. And sometimes we'll get it right, sometimes we'll get it kind of wrong. So there's those kind of games. European Cup games in France make it always hard. Games at Clermont, games at Toulouse. That Munster-Toulouse game went to penalty dropouts. You know going into extra time, your job is to referee the game. Your job is there to give a penalty if it's clear. If it's not clear, you can try and talk you out of it. But even more so at 24 all, when you know one decision will chuck a team out of the European Cup or not. And again, just trying to strike that uh, need to blow your whistle against avoiding blowing your whistle. And we've all seen games where refs and... I'm sure you've played in them where refs have gone into hiding in the last five minutes because they don't want to decide the game or they've just pulled a rabbit out of the hat because they have decided the game. And I've done it in the past myself. And it's trying to find, making sure that you get that, you get that level right because you don't want to come off that game deciding it unfairly. But you also don't want to come off that game knowing that you could have decided it with a correct decision. But you've, as people often say, it, bottle it and decide not to blow your whistle. Well, Eddie Jones mentioned, didn't he, after the first test with yeah. the red card, that naturally he feels like the psychology part that referees try and even it out. I don't know. I'd be interested to see all of his examples of doing that because generally as a ref, you don't feel that you're evening it out. You feel under pressure because you've just given a red and a yellow card. And I text James straight away. James is relatively new on the international scene. And I just text him after and say, mate, this is what, you know, this is what comes with top level test games now you're going to get flack wherever you go so just enjoy the come down and see what happens you know in, in the week is going on but I don't think it's a deliberate thing to go easy I think it's a you know easy thing to say uh, it's, it's an easy thing for him to say isn't uh, it of course and look and if there's proof behind it then fair play and we need to get better at that psychological aspect of it but I don't think referees purposefully go out there and then soften up against the team given a red card we've all been there where we've gone you look at the Wales game you know Nika the Georgian ref then gives another yellow and another yellow. You know, he hasn't gone easy on a team gone to 14 because someone's doing something wrong. So, again, it's just, it, it's a unique job, this. And it's a unique job that people will try and understand each component of it. But there's about a, a thousand components of this refereeing gig that get pulled together at certain points. 
And some some people will flourish in certain areas. Some people will be really accurate. Some people will be really nice to watch, but will make more mistakes. It doesn't make one right or wrong or indifferent. It's just trying to get that person right for that game and making sure that as much as we can, people are talking about the play, the tries, rather than TMO referrals, referee blowing his whistle, not blowing his or her whistle. And again, we're only going to get more and more of that as I think we approach 2023. Best player or captain, when you think about it and you've walked off it or whatever, or someone that sticks in your mind where you're like legend. Tricky, because most of those players are still playing and it's always hard to name them when I think I'll be refereeing them again. Um, and you don't want to kind of give anything away because in this world now, people just think you're being biased, which is ridiculous. But as soon as you mention one good team or one good place to referee or one good player, people then say, oh, well, the next time I'm going to out for him, they get this clip off this podcast and away you go. So it's hard to name... Give me it off air, that one. But someone in years gone by, people mentioned Brad Barrett as a captain. That's... Brad was good because Brad was always quiet and he never really got in your face until he needed to. I always remember Steve Borthwick, and I joke about now, he's obviously DOR at Leicester. He bullied the hell out of me for the first two years. Uh, Sarries, I knocked the door. I went to do studs and it's half past one. I knocked on the door. He opened the door. I said, oh, Steve, can I come in to do studs? He went, no, not now, Luke. Shut the door in my face. And I'm, this is before the game. And I'm thinking, my God, he's already won this battle. You know, so you, you reflect on people like that who were difficult, but you learned so much from and you learned from their kind of um, their era and their atmosphere. You got a lot of players around Europe. You, you learn to know who these people are and they're difficult characters on the pitch. They're smashing the hell out of each other. But you go back to that respect element and once they know you and you know them a bit and you've, you can think that you've got a bit of control on them, it's a, there's no better feeling because you know that they've got a control on their whole team. And if you can get that element of control on that team then you're halfway there in refereeing, I think. Right, Luke, we could have went on all day. Flight to catch. You've got a flight. I've got a flight <laughs> to catch, but welcome to the Spotify studio. And, mate, it was wicked. Absolutely loved it. Cheers, mate. No problem. Cheers, Jim.